You're listening to IoT Leaders, a podcast from SI that shares real IoT stories from the field about digital transformation swings and misses, lessons learned, and innovation strategies that work. In each episode, you'll hear our conversations with top digitization leaders on how IoT is changing the world for the better. Let IoT Leaders be your guide to IoT, digital transformation, and innovation. Let's get into the show. Hi, and welcome to the IoT Leaders podcast with me, your host, Nicole, CEO of SI. And this week, we're going to be talking about sea containers. We're going to be talking about tracking the products inside those containers. We're going to be talking about intelligent locks. And if that wasn't enough, we're going to be talking about enabling the world's smartest, coolest electronic motorbike, and then how everything's going to change with the imminent introduction of satellite communication that can be accessed through cellular products and how this is going to change everything by optimizing battery life through more intelligence in the device. It's an action-packed interview. My guest uh, this week is Max Perry. He is the VP of Sales and Products at a very innovative company in Israel called T42. And they've been a partner of SIs for many, many years, but they're doing some really, really interesting stuff in targeting billions of dollars of savings for major corporations around much more granular information about where their products are and what is uh, happening to them. Are they being tampered with? Who is accessing them? It's really action-packed and you'll hear it all in the interview. So with that, let's get going. Here's my interview with Max Perry, the VP of Sales and Products at T42 in Israel. So Max, welcome to the IoT Leaders Podcast. Thank you for having me. So we're going to talk about tracking containers, cargo, smart locks, and even electric bicycles and satellites. So we've got actually quite a bit to talk about. But before we do, uh, for the listeners, let's find out a little bit about Max and this company, T42. So first of all, what's your background and how did you end up in the company? Well, my background is actually from software engineering. I have a degree in software engineering. Never completed the education, never did it. I found out very quickly that I prefer working with people than machines. It's much more pleasant for me and much more enjoyable. <laughs> so I'm uh, doing marketing and sales since 2003. Worked with the mobile operators here in Israel in the past, and I'm with uh, T42, or as it was called previously, Starcom Systems, since 2009. Right. And I wanted to ask you, by the way, just on that point that you made, it was interesting. I had to smile when you said that. Um, you found people more pleasant than uh, machines. I suddenly thought back over my career, and there have been a couple of, of people that I found to be less pleasant than machines, but I probably don't. Need to <laughs> It's not been universally true in my case. Yeah, we won't mention them here. Yeah, we won't, definitely won't mention them, at least not while we're, we're, we're recording. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you, so Starcom Systems, um, and of course that links it in a sense to the end of this podcast because we're going to be talking about satellite, as I said, but T42, and I must admit when I heard it, I thought, okay, I can normally work out why companies are, what their name means, and I was scratching my head. And so... Where did the name 
T42 come from and what triggered a rename of the company? Okay, so let's start with the easy part, the name. You had a chance to read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Richard Adams, yeah, absolutely, yeah. An excellent book and a nice movie that they made. And the entire book was around question that they had. What was the purpose of life and everything in the world? And if you remember, they set up this very complicated machine that worked for millions and millions of, uh, of years. And the answer to what was the meaning for everything in the universe was 42. 42. So this is the meaning behind the name. We rebranded the company about a year ago, and the goal was to focus on the IoT industry and IoT devices. The company itself was established back in 2002 by uh, three partners that are still in the company. And the company is specializing in development and manufacturing of different tracking devices. Uh, we started as Starcom Systems from the automotive industry. This was our bread and butter for many years. And we developed various tracking solutions for the automotive industry. Started with the stolen vehicle recovery industry and developed as the market developed towards a fleet management and asset protection. And we decided to divide those segments into two different companies, T42 and Helios Tracker, where Helios Tracker is handling our previously uh, core business, the automotive industry. And T42 is focusing on the IoT segments. Actually, it's interesting. You're... Um... The second podcast in a row, actually, that I've done, which has a similar story, and they had one business. The podcast I'm referring to is a company called Microsystems in Northern Italy. They do a whole variety. They used to do um, PCBs. Well, they still do PCB boards, control boards for machines, for the sensors. And then they realized that IoT was different. And then rather than just add it, they divided the company into two. In fact, the guy that I interviewed said, I want to build the IoT business. And so they built an IoT business alongside the control board business. So it's sort of, it's, it's interesting that there's two companies, both with similar, not, not quite the same, similar side. But in your case, what you did was you went into a different field because you said you were in tracking and that's a pretty crowded space, isn't it? There's a lot of automotive trackers out there. I mean, you Google it and there's, there's a lot of them, but the but, and I know you differentiate, and we'll come to that about what you're doing with Helios, the automotive company is a very differentiated offering. But you went from there into containers. And so what was the trigger for starting off in the IoT company and picking containers as a vertical to target first? Well, actually back, uh, somewhere back in 2008, we've started noticing a lot of competition coming into the classic tracking industry or market. And uh, quite early, the CEO of the company noticed, and rightfully so, that the tracking industry or the tracking products will eventually become a commodity. And we will have to either compete on uh, very small margins and uh, very competitive prices, or find new revenue streams and new segments that we can approach. The reason that we selected the container industry is because it has huge potential. There is an enormous amount of containers around the world, and they are all, in terms of technology that they are used, are in the 
way behind the industry. Yes. So there are simple metal boxes. Yeah. Once you put your very expensive goods, very expensive electronics inside of them, you have no idea what is happening with them. And that yeah. eventually causes hundreds of millions of dollars in loss on a yearly basis to the clients, to the insurance companies, and to the shippers. So there was a true problem that we will be able to solve by identifying those weaknesses and notifying to the end clients, couriers, security companies upon any deviation in the container route or attempts of breach. So back in 2008, the first product that we started working on was the Tetis line of products that was designed especially for the container industry. One of the trends that I've noticed certainly is that the most successful companies, and we like to think we only invite the most successful companies on IoT leaders, but the most successful companies actually identified the business outcome, where the money saving is first, and then created the product to create that. And in your case, as you say, the uh, container, worldwide container industry is absolutely huge. There's billions of dollars at any one time. There's billions of dollars of product moving very slowly, or in many cases, stationary, sat on the ground in a port, having been unloaded and waiting for a a truck to drive through a city to pick it up and drive it out or whatever. But And there is almost no information on the supply chain. And we all know that supply chain optimization is worth tens of billions of dollars globally. And as you said, they're basically dumb. They've been dumb metal boxes for decades. Yes. And it's almost been, it's been a very hard market to crack to actually create a solution. So what did, um, but the huge demand, if people find, could find out where the goods are, Supply chain optimization is one of the biggest ROIs that any company can do, especially as we're talking global and things are on the move for weeks. And we saw the implications during COVID when supply chains were disrupted and container prices, shipment shipment container prices that you can track publicly increased massively. So what did T42, what did you guys do to crack that problem of of, uh, tracking of containers or Tetis uh, product? Well, with the initial products, we've designed a unique unit that most of our competitors during these times took a different approach. When there was a demand for container tracking, they tried to take an automotive unit, combine it with a battery, somehow stitch it with waterproof case, and somehow install it on a container. We had a different approach. We have designed a unit around the design of the container. That way you can very easily install the unit on the container. As you know, most of the containers are not owned by the people that use them, whether it's the couriers or the owners of the goods. So you cannot change the container. You cannot drill in the container unless it is yours. So the unit is very easily installed. And with very fast installation, you get a complete overview of both the container and the goods inside of it. So whether the container is moving, whether the doors are closed or opened, how is the handling of the container, meaning whether it is suffering any impacts and whether it is being transported properly through the entire route and the state of the goods themselves, temperature-wise and humidity-wise. At the moment, we have a solution to the three major problems that we feel, yes, that today, prevent those types of solutions to be adopted globally 
and on a large scale. Yes, because there are quite a lot of con different devices, but currently there are still some technical issues that prevent us from global deployment. There is the question of cost and the question of power consumption. And with the next generation of our Tetis units, we will tackle all three. We will be able to provide a unit that will be installed in the container for periods of five to 10 years with constant tracking and constant data-driven information. It will be offered on a, with a new business model that will allow a rapid deployment for both the owners of the containers and the forwarders. And by the way, using the future technology that SI will support, we will be able to provide global coverage in those units because even today we implement cellular modules that will support satellite communications through IoT in the future. Okay, so it will be able to support all the current technologies and upcoming technologies and to sustain itself using energy harvesting technology for long periods of time. So we will be able to offer affordable communication, longevity of the unit, and affordable devices. Within and, and global, and global uh, coverage by using um, satellite, lower cost satellite than previous solutions such as Iridium, which we all know, but you, you talked about battery life conservation, five to 10 years. You know, I have an image whenever I hear the word Iridium, I, I, I think of two things. I think of satellites in space, but I also then think of large, bulky, large, heavy handheld phones for explorers or, or whatever. Yeah. And I'm sure they've moved on tremendously since my outdated image. But, but the fact is that it's still really expensive and it still needs a, a big battery and Although costs have come down, it's not cost competitive. We don't see Iridium being used, but this new, in IoT use cases, but this new standard, which just for people who who uh, trip up on the algorithms, which we all do, release 17 is the uh, GSMA standard, which uh, will allow a cellular modem. The big breakthrough here is a cellular modem, which is what you're using and you're partner of ours, as you as you said, and have been for quite some time, but a, a cellular modem to actually switch and if based on some rules and say, I would like to use satellite because uh, there is no cellular, for example. And that that's going to, especially in the container business, that's going to transform your world, isn't it? I think it will revolutionize the world because it's a completely different approach and it will truly allow IoT integration into practically every container in the world. Because besides the size and maybe the cost of the Iridium satellite, you're talking about improving the power consumption significantly to allow the existing energy harvesting technology to sustain those units practically forever. And once you remove this obstacle of the operation side of installing those units, removing those units, your entire operation becomes much more cost efficient. And you used the phrase earlier, energy harvesting, which I am assuming that means solar, if it's out at sea, or is it more than solar? Is it, or is it primarily solar? It's more than solar. I can tell you that those are three technologies that we are going to implement in the new device. Unfortunately, I cannot disclose which ones at the moment. 
but each one of them separately is not enough. Okay. The idea here is to create a unit that will be able essentially to work forever unless something breaks down. Wow, that's quite a lofty, ambitious goal. I want to come back to uh, the technology on that and its implications for the IT industry in general. Uh, Because as you say, to me and, and to many people, Release 17, and it will have a snappier name soon, but Release 17 is as significant as some of the other subjects that we've explored, such as the eSIM and the iSIM, which totally changed the world by breaking the proprietary link between the operator and the SIM. So I want to come back to that towards the end, but for the moment, I want to hear more about your story because as T42, so you started off with containers and because that's where the money was, that's where the, the business opportunity is. And then you, you had to find something where, as you say, people don't own their containers, something that could be easily attached and could have connectivity. You assessed connectivity providers. You chose SI. I, I want to talk about what you did because you have two other product lines on cargo and, and locks. But before we get there, why did you choose SI, if I can ask? Why? Because there's a lot of cellular providers. Who, well, it's easy. Uh, it's easy. Uh, for us, the process with the site was very simple and easy because of two things. You were able to provide us something or a solution to a problem that we had that nobody else could have during the period that we worked. And this is uh, truly good <laughs> coverage in the US. And what I mean, when we started working in the US, most of the cellular operators were offering roaming on AT&T and T-Mobile. Right. You were the only ones that were able to add to AT&T and T-Mobile Verizon, which is a tremendous effect in terms of coverage in the US. The difference of working with and without Verizon is day and night in terms of coverage. I actually don't know what the demographic is of our our, uh, listener profile, (laughs) marketing words there, but I think it's probably a minority here in the US. So just to give a little bit of background, on that, I might be wrong in that about minority, but but Verizon, who we are the uh, first company to be able to not just connect onto Verizon, a lot of people can can roam, but we are the first company to be able to localize onto Verizon over the air. So as the thing moves, we can we can localize onto Verizon, we can localize onto AT and T, and we can permanently roam onto uh, T Mobile, which is currently where we are. But Verizon do have, to your point, they have the best network in North America. And North America being a really big place, that's hugely important because your products that you're targeting, by their very nature, move all across America. I mean, we're not talking about putting stuff in one city that where AT&T have great coverage or Timo have great coverage or or a state where some in the US, some providers are known as being really good in Florida and some are really good in Idaho or whatever. Your products, by the very nature, move. And so having the ability to connect to anybody in North America without worrying about roaming is a really, really big deal for your business plan and your your value prop that you sell to your customers, I guess. It's a huge deal, especially considering the fact that in most cases, we are not working in the center of the town where you, you have the center of population, you have good cellular coverage. Usually it's on the outskirts, it's in the middle of nowhere where the logistic center is or where the warehouse is. And this ability to be flexible in terms of network support was a game changer for us. We started Dell, but uh, later on we integrated assigned to all of our products and we are doing so simply because our 
goal with the IoT industry, because we are dealing with mostly high security or high valued cargo, is to have 100% availability of network. And since 2018 that we've started working with size SIM cards, we have never, knock on wood, yes, we have never had any downtime in terms of network, which is for us, it's a perfect solution. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Thank you. And it's about your business case and your, your value to your customers. But it's also the reason why we define the architecture the way we did, because we believe that IoT requires as near as physical. we used to say as, as near as possible, 100%. And therefore, we set out to be the company that has the most global coverage. In fact, Gartner called us the, the IoT company, the, the most global IoT company, more global than any single mobile network operator because of our architecture, the way we combine all the operators together. We don't say the most global anymore now. When we come back to satellite, you actually have the promise of 100%, as you say. But let's get back to what you did, because the moment you had that capability with containers, you then you didn't stop there. So containers was first, and then your other product line, if, if I've got the name, Kylos Air. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because that's that's not just the container itself. It's a more granular unit of tracking <laughs> Yes, the, the Kylos Air was actually designed for asset tracking or asset protection with a very special segment in those assets, and that's air cargo transported goods. Yes, the idea behind the Kylos Air, the, it was designed with IATA and uh, AA in European certification for air cargo transportation in mind. Yes, so the idea is that the unit is concealed on the cargo pallet or the ULDs that are going to the airplane, the unit can switch off automatically before the plane takes off and switch on automatically when the plane lands and provides complete overview of the entire route for the cargo and notifies the user automatically upon any deviation in the preset parameters. Yeah, so the idea with all of our products is to prevent the damage yes so if we have certain temperatures that we have to maintain we will notify before it reaches the limit so you will have time to respond if there is certain time critical shipment that has to leave until a certain point the unit will automatically notify if there is no movement detected from the unit at a certain period of time and say guys listen we are closing or we are near the deadline that it should leave but it hasn't yet check with your couriers and on the other side it will also notify if the unit will not arrive at the destination at the predefined time or for example if the unit or the cargo the kylos was moved or somebody attempted to tamper with it while it was stored i mean essentially you're going down from the container as a unit of measure, the container to the pallets and the boxes that are within the container. It's a similar sort of business model. But again, you're using the same disruption because you talked earlier about the containers where the, nobody has any clue where they are and you can't get the information even if you tried because nobody knows where they are until they turn up. And it's the same thing on, on this side because I was thinking of, you know, when I use FedEx or any of us use FedEx or UPS or any of the traditional cargo companies, they give you, well, lately they give you a, a URL you can click on, but 
you're only actually, you know, you click on the URL. And I did one recently. Uh, we were sending uh, something to Australia for friends of ours in Australia. They sent us a URL and it told us that their, their uh, gift that we were sending them was in a, a factory or a warehouse in uh, just north of London. And we kept, we clicked and clicked and clicked and they were phoning us saying, this gift hasn't arrived, this gift hasn't arrived. And then it just said it was in the in a warehouse in North London and we knew it probably wasn't. And then suddenly it said, oh, one day when we clicked, it's in Sydney. Well, there's a big distance between London and Sydney. There was no information. And But what you're saying is event-driven. Like it should have left by now and it hasn't. So you should probably take some action and call your courier up, say, hey, it's not left. You have actually more information than the courier. At the other end, you're empowering the user. You're empowering the customer because you're giving them more information than the people who are in the middle of the supply chain. So it's another feature of IoT, connecting the dots here, that like, for instance, you may think it's got nothing to do with coffee machines and and consumer-based case studies, but the successful consumer-based case studies, IoT, are always about empowering the user uh, to, if they want to, to disintermediate the supply chain and go direct to the supplier and to have more information and therefore more choice. So you're not locked in anymore because of your contracts. You actually have choice because you have the information and you can see the service level of how your supplier is doing. And if you don't like it, you have choice and you can move. You can go to another coffee machine or in your case, you say you're giving the uh, the shipment manager, I guess, or whatever these titles are, the 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 information that says how their shipping partner is doing and a dashboard with SLAs and which they've never have had before at a much more granular level than what they were given by these companies before, which is it's here, big gap, big gap, big gap. Now it's here, which is okay. But what you ultimately want is the Holy Grail is a bit like the Uber app where you see the car. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we will reach it uh, soon, I hope. But it also provides the user the information to prevail in damages. And this is the most important part, especially for large companies. Try to imagine if you are, for example, Tiva, yes, the pharmaceutical company, and you ship components or critical elements for a certain production line from one place to another. Now, there is a gap of a month, yes, that this container ships from Tel Aviv to New York, for example. Somewhere in between, there was a breach of the container or irregularity in the temperatures, yes? Besides the direct cost to the goods that are lost, you are losing the production line. You are losing sale value that can be 10 times more than the cost of the goods because of the component. So the ability to prevent those damages has a tremendous effect on those uh, type of customers and clients. Yeah, that's very interesting. It has lots of implications. You think about insurance, you think about supply chain, stocking levels. It's just a huge, huge area. But, you know, with so much to cover, I, I, I want to move us on because you then went into another new area, all related. So then you went into the smart lock business and I know you've got a product line called Lockies. And I initially thought that, well, that they're called Lockies because it's just a play on the word lock. But I believe that actually that's not the derivation of it, is it? There's another story there. Well, yes, there, there is another story there. 
Lockis is a smart padlock without any keys. It's a keyless padlock, yes. And we were looking for a nice way to represent it in the name. And in Hebrew, lo means no. So we played around with the fact that there is no keys. So lo keys is no keys in two different languages. Okay, so if your Hebrew wasn't wasn't great, but certainly mine wasn't. No, no. <laughs> so it's a no key padlock. So yes. How, how does that work? Well, it's actually a fourth generation of padlocks that we develop here in T42. Our first uh, endeavor with uh, smart padlocks started back in 2010 with another Israeli company called Multilock. It is part of uh, Asab Loy. It's uh, one of the leading companies in terms of uh, locking systems. And uh, when we started marketing the Tetis, we noticed that there is a segment within the transportation and the supply chain that we cannot provide services to. And those are the forwarders. They receive the container already sealed, already locked with the seal, yes, with the custom seals and the security seals. So they cannot open the doors to install the Tetis. The Tetis is a good solution for those who has have access to the container while it is open and the goods are loaded. But not if you've got the, the seals on because you're just not allowed to tamper with them at all. Yes, that's correct. So we were looking on a way to provide services, security services, monitoring services for containers that are already locked. And we thought about combining Padlock, a CT10 uh, high security Padlock with a tracking system. We approached Multilock here in Israel to see if they can sell us some Padlocks and what we can do with that. And we started working together because they were so excited about the technology and the, the innovation that we bring to the table. We started a joint venture with them and we developed and successfully sold three distinguished lines of Padlocks. Up until the lock is, which is the first one that is completely developed, manufactured, designed, everything by T42. And um, basically it is GSM GPS enabled access control unit that acts both as a tracking unit and IoT unit. It can connect to external sensors. It can tell you the state of the goods and it can tell the exact user yes we can identify the user that has access to we can limit the access to the users based on time or location max sorry can i interrupt is it something to do with the user's cell phone how can you identify the user or or is it a key i mean is there a keypad on it how can you link the physical product to the user there is no physical keypad on the unit the access is given to a specific username that has to download a specific dedicated application. And the link is done between the cell phone right. username and the okay. and the unit. And it also combines a very unique technology that we have developed here in T42. And those are the shackles of the lock. The lock is very versatile and very flexible. Directly speaking, the shackle of the lock contains fiber optics inside. So any attempt to tamper with the lock, the user will be notified. Right, right. That system of uh, two devices, the device and the user and the authorized access is the same business model, by the way. I don't know whether you're aware of this, but we do all of the, we enable all of the Amazon, the Amazon Prime drivers globally to open doors of condominiums, uh, apartment blocks or whatever to able to get in, you press the button and and 
in 16% of times, the, the Amazon Prime driver presses the button and no one opens the door. So they either they leave it on the floor. In fact, this morning when I left my house, there was a parcel on the floor in the street outside, <laughs> outside my house. Luckily, neighbors are very honest. But anyway, so they're installing the electronic device and the same thing. You have secure encrypted access by the driver with video camera. So you have a record and it actually shows uh, how to do it. And they they are now franchising. They see a huge opportunity to franchise that to all the other delivery drivers because Prime is not the only delivery driver that delivers to your house. You know, you have UPS and FedEx and all of the all of the delivery companies and they, you don't want multiple units on your gates case of your house or your door of your condominium complex. So very similar solution in a completely different area and a huge growth area, the tampering the, and the identification. And so you, if we take a step back, you, you've gone from the container, huge, down to the goods within the container. Then you went from the goods within the container down to the lock. I mean, the level of granularity, there's a pattern here, you're getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> You can imagine smart labels or whatever. I won't ask you to divulge anything, but uh, you can imagine smart labels and more granularity of tracking in the future. But I wanted to actually switch because, as I said at the beginning, in amongst all this innovation, you then went back to your roots with automotive. As you said, you split the company. You created T42, which is everything we talked about so far as T42. You then, with Helios, the two companies within, within the T42 banner, and Helios is the automotive company, but you then went into not just basic commodity tracking, as you said, but you went into electric motorbikes. And I know that you uh, enable, you power what are known as the, uh, they're called Zero Motorcycles. Seriously cool company started in Santa Cruz, California, known as the uh, Tesla of the motorbike world. So this is a really a very different use case to a container. But a very cool company and a very fast-growing electric motorbike company. So maybe you could talk a little bit about about that and what you do for Zero. Sure. So basically, uh, we are a tier one uh, partner of Zero Motorcycles, as you mentioned. Every Zero Motorcycle that leaves the factory is equipped with one of our Helios tracking units. And in case of the Zero Motorcycles, basically we enable the entire communication between the motorcycle user and the company itself so the level of integration is so deep that we can through our tools process and upgrade the firmware versions of zero components such as the main ecu of the unit for example the main processor of the unit we can upgrade the firmware of the charging unit and the batteries yes each and every one of them has different firmwares and we enable the user to communicate with the motorcycle to set up charging cycles smart uh, charging yes during peak and and, and rush hours uh, and slows electricity and yes uh, you bike at 2 30 a.m when the electricity is cheap or whatever yes yes we can select whether when he wants to upgrade his firmwares and receive all information from the bike including emergency information case needed if somebody start, tries to tamper with the bike or steal it or, and stuff like that, the information is provided directly to the user's phone. It's a cooperation that we started working on back in 2017. It took us almost two years of combined and very 
intensive uh, development work together with the Zero team to optimize the device to work with the electronic units that they have, because we do feel that electronic uh, transportation is part of the future. It's here to stay. It will be more and more common to see. Yes. And um, as you mentioned, it's not a commodity solution. It's not a simple track and trace unit. We provide added value to the user, yes, by providing additional security to the motorcycle. And we provide added value to the company as they can monitor and control the devices to make sure that they are charging properly, that there is no safety issues. And they can optimize the usability of the motorcycle using the data that we collect. And it's a similar, although it's completely different, a motorcycle and a container, <laughs> but it's similar in the sense that these motorcycles are move and they move quicker than a container, but they they actually go global. I mean, people will buy one of these motorbikes and then they'll go off on a tour somewhere. And so the issue of a global connectivity, consistent global connectivity, zero downtime, always being able to enable, especially as you mentioned, if there's a, an accident or whatever, it's exactly when you need it. But the ability to have a range of services that differentiates the experience, not you know, the firmware upgrades, all the features that you, you talked about, is something that people want to do wherever they are. And there, you talked about North America and the importance of uh, Verizon coverage, but I imagine these motorbikes get sold all over the, and get ridden actually all over the world, don't they? And I guess yeah. that's another reason that you, you roll the SI connectivity into the bike, presumably to make sure that you, you brought that, that benefit to zero, the company zero, because they need global capabilities, not regional capabilities. That's correct. When we pre-install the device in the unit, we have no idea, very similar to the container, where the unit will end up. We know where it starts. Yes, it's uh, at zero factory. But from there, it can move freely to one of the 33 or 32 different countries in which those bikes are sold. And when we are talking about those countries, once it arrives to the country, as you mentioned, they can the user himself can travel globally. I have no yeah, idea they, where they it can, is. Uh, they can take it anywhere they want. And they need yeah. and it essential that the experience follows them because they're in remote areas. Correct. So, yeah, and it's a very cool, uh, and I encourage any listeners to this to check out Zero, Zero Motorbikes uh, website. To, <laughs> if you like bikes, there's a lot of cool, cool bikes on there. We're getting towards the, the end of our, our time slot here, and it's been fascinating to see your journey, understand your business case and what you're delivering once you've got 100% global connectivity. I wanted to come back to the, to finish, Max, to the subject we, we mentioned at, at the start, which is your vision, because IoT is a fascinating world. It's a complex world, which is why we do the podcast to, to try and simplify it and demystify it. But it's also a very fast changing world and satellite is coming. I mean, we've had satellite for years, Iridium, but it wasn't practical. We have low earth orbiting satellite satellites that move and we have fixed satellites but satellite is coming and there's now this new technology that can as we call it r17 is the current name for it but the ability for a cellular modem which keeps the cost down to actually switch to satellite now we know within si and you know you know with your, your device expertise that it's a bit more complex than that the device has to be able to uh, have the right firmware and also to, to be able to use uh, release 17 capabilities. And also, the, you know, ultimately, we believe 
our philosophy is that the more capabilities, that, the more network capabilities there are, radio access types or rats, as they're called, that are out there, the more choice you can put into the device. So like in the home, you may want to choose between home Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, cellular, for example. Containers may want to go between cellular, satellite, for example. But ultimately what that means is the device gets more and more important. And this is one of our core beliefs. The device gets more and more important and the device needs to be able to have the intelligence to switch between this because you really want the intelligence at the edge which means capabilities in the device. Is that a philosophy, T42, that, that you believe in and, and that the, the more intelligence, software-based intelligence in the device, the more business value you can give to your clients? I think it's crucial for a company like us to implement those technologies in the devices simply because besides the fact that you have those variety of networks or variety of operators available, if you are unable to switch between them in an optimal way, you will waste one of the most expensive resources that you have in a battery-operated device, and that is battery. So if you are not able to do it efficiently and using those capabilities, we can switch it efficiently, it's a must-have for us. It's critical to have and critical to implement, and this is something that we will always focus on improving with time. And in case there are any listeners who are a little mystified as to what specifically I'm referring to, in our case, it's a capability called Smart Connect, which is device resident intelligence that does exactly what Max is uh, is talking about. And, and that, as multi-rat and uh, a business consumer use case <laughs> together, our satellite becomes cheaper. It will not only provide the intelligence, but the, a rule, a device-based rules engine which will allow you to optimize your battery life. You know, we, I was talking to someone going back to the beginning of, of uh, you mentioned pallets early on, and I was talking to one of our pallet customers where we're embedded in the pallet, and we were talking about what does battery, ask the question, what does battery life optimization really mean? I mean, I understand it from technically what it means. And what they said is that, look, if, if you've got a battery that lasts five years in a pallet, you can sell a, that pallet as a service as opposed to as a product for five years, recurring revenue. But if you can squeeze two more years battery life out of the same battery because of decisions that you can make within the device as opposed to going to the cloud, which drains the battery, or, or in the future with iSIM, so you don't have to go from the module to the separate SIM, which again takes up power and whatever. But all those little things you can do, if you could squeeze two more years a battery from the uh, battery life out, you get two more years worth of revenue. And it's back to where we started from. You you started T42 on the premise that the money was in supply chain optimization. And your pattern has been one to take it down to a sort of an atomic unit of smaller and smaller and smaller. And now the locks and who knows where you're going to go are smaller than the locks. But all the time, what you're doing is you're chasing the business outcome. You're chasing the ROI. And if you can extend then with battery technology, which only moves very slowly. It's good, but it's not like Moore's law. It doesn't double every year or every 18 months. But if you can squeeze out, especially for install-based devices, more life out of the battery, then the value you deliver to your customers, it just rises directly proportional to that. Yeah. Now, a lot of people don't think about that. They don't think about what do I need to do to optimize the battery so I can get more revenue a longer lifetime value out of the same products. And that's exactly what 
what you're saying when you keep on coming back to it's all about the battery. Yes, it is. And and in our cases, especially in the container industry, if we can squeeze or extend the battery, it's a game changer. It's taking a nice-to-have solution to something that everybody would want to have. You know, and that's a uh, probably a great point to uh, end. This has been fascinating. Um, we've uh, I've certainly learned a lot, and uh, not just about uh, T42, but my knowledge of Hebrew is... <laughs> 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 but also the philosophy of your company and what you're doing and how you're solving problems and then how you're taking it sideways into motorbikes and basically applying the same principles to an industry that you started in but got out of because it was a commodity. And now you've come full circle back into because you're selling a value-added global solution because you can enable global connectivity and, and ultimately put intelligence into the device. So it's a great case study, and I'm sure our listeners have loved listening to this. So Max, I wanted just to, on behalf of SI and myself, thank you for for being my guest on the IoT Leaders uh, podcast. And also thank you very much for uh, being uh, one of our partners. We really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to IoT Leaders, a podcast brought to you by SI. Our team delivers innovative global IoT cellular connectivity solutions that just work, helping our customers deploy differentiated experiences and disrupt their markets. Learn more at SI.com. You've been listening to IoT Leaders, featuring digitization leadership on the front lines of IoT. Our vision for this podcast is to be your guide to IoT and digital disruption, helping you to plot the right route to success. We hope today's lessons, stories, strategies, and insights have changed your vision of IoT. Let us know how we're doing by subscribing, rating, reviewing, and recommending us. Thanks for listening. Until next time.